almost everybody I know thinks Home Alone 2 is the best Home Alone. Not even close, dude. Nobody thinks Home Alone 2 is the best Home Alone. You're high, bro. Ryan, tiebreaker? Uh, so Home Alone 3 is not in the running. That's what we're saying. Uh, no, not even close. <laughs> dude, what is it with all my friends lately that are like peacemakers? Everybody's like a peacemaker. No, Home Alone 1 is definitely better. There you go. Come right in there, man. Be like, hell, y'all, dude, Home Alone 1's better. Tony had a personality. He would be agreeing with us. I don't, I, don't, I don't get it, though, because Home Alone 2, it takes place in a house right downtown New York City that's getting remodeled. It's way more dangerous than the original house. And the famous line of suck brick kid. <laughs> you, you just can't do it. It's, it's so suck brick kid. Welcome back to the Slowdown Podcast. You've been sticking with us so far. That's good. We haven't turned you away. We haven't bored you to death. And you amen. keep tuning in. So amen to that. I got Russ with me. What's up? What's up? I got Ryan with me. Hey. That's it, Ryan? Just hey? I mean, Ryan, make, make what us, do you make want us me to laugh. say? Make what me you- laugh right now. And all of our listeners say something funny. And if I had jokes, it wouldn't matter. You don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Leave me alone, dude. We just got on here. That's what he just said. All right. So I want to, I want to kick this podcast off with um with a special welcome yeah to uh to russ i want to welcome you to a very exclusive and prestigious club and it is the red wing heritage club russ recently got some iron rangers and joined the upper echelon where <laughs> upper echelon the upper echelon of footwear you got yourself some heritage yeah. son I used to wear these back in the day when I worked in a machine shop. Iron Rangers? No, Red Wings. I didn't have the yeah. Iron Rangers. Yeah. But uh, I had the mocks, man. They were comfy, dude. Oh, were nice dude. in the shop. Of course, you know, then eventually wound up going into you know, full-time ministry. I had to hang up my boots. And let's just say that God and his sovereignty, right, has, has brought these back into a place of prominence in my life. I think the Iron Rangers are the best boot ever made. I've been enjoying mine now for... I think four, four or five years. And I have the same ones that you have, Russ, which we're no doubt we're going to get made fun of for that. But, and I also have a pair of mocks, um, the charcoal rough and tough, and those are just breaking in right now. I'm averaging a pair of red wings every four years, which is nice. So I can keep that up. I already know which the next ones that I want. So that's good, man. Like basically like putting away like eight bucks a month, you know, yeah. <laughs> that red wing fund. Yep. About four years rolls up. No, Someone needs to do the math on that. What is that? I have no I'll idea. I'll put that into our budget. I need to talk to my wife about this. I have no idea. I was guessing. 
there's nothing nothing worse than the uh the new balances man like just the straight mm. standard like dad khaki pants polo tucked in <laughs> velcro straps across the top oh so bad yeah yeah it's almost like a like a Jim Harbaugh uniform. That's what I feel like when I see like khakis and like, some white shoes. Harbaugh and his khakis, man. Hey, when you get paid like that, you can wear that stuff. That's true. That's true. Yeah, no doubt. Well, welcome back, guys. Um, we're continuing our discussion um, in Reclaim. And um, we, if you joined us last week, we wrapped up our discussion in Reclaim 1. Um, talking about the reconciling work of Jesus and the nature of uh, the kingdom um, and the king. And we're kind of continuing in that thought today about the kingdom because, and here's where it ties in, in that when Jesus comes and says, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, there was a cultural understanding of what that kingdom was and the, and the hearers, the people that were hearing it at that time, especially among God's people, uh, the Jewish people, they had an understanding of that. And so when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's already blowing their minds in terms of their cultural understanding and even biblical understanding of that. For sure. For sure. So really like diving in on that, um, the idea of the kingdom and the coming king Jesus did not fit the job description. Let's just put it that way, right? And so we read verses like Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. Uh, For us, a child is born, a son is given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually. There shall be an endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. There's that word. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. And so I think the, there's, a, there's many more verses like this. The idea of the kingdom and the idea of the coming king was going to be this one where he brought with him justice right. and righteousness and judgment. And there was a cultural understanding of that at the time because the Jewish people were basically like under Rome's rule and authority. Rome is the occupying enemy army at the time. And it's long since been the days of of David when they're a sovereign nation. And so in their mind, they're being oppressed. Uh, Righteousness and justice are not uh, being upheld in the world. And so they kept looking for this one who was going to come. And they had an understanding of when he comes, He's going to bring this justice. He's going to bring this righteousness. He's going to, he's going to come. He's going to gather an army. Right? They had a, yeah. like a geographical, political, military view of the kingdom. He's going to gather an army. He's going to hop on a sword. He's going to you know, hop on a horse, get a sword, go take down Rome, and we're going to go back to the glory days of David. And that's what they were looking for. And Jesus comes and does not fit the bill. No. No, man, there's, you know, it's almost like you can fast forward to date, right? There's, there's a lot of dysfunction in the world at the time, a lot of division, disconnect. It's just happening in and around people. And so they're definitely longing for this, for this better world, right? They're, they're longing for this Messiah to open the proverbial can, right, for lack of better terms, and just make this world straighten up and fly right. Let's get this show going. And Jesus isn't meeting any of those things. Right. I mean, all the way down to the point where, right, when John the Baptist, this guy who was assigned with the task of making known that the, the Messiah has come to the world, when that guy winds up going to prison, right, he's, like, he's been locked up because of what he's been doing and he's facing death. 
he's sending messengers back and he's saying, Hey, just out of curiosity, uh, <laughs> are you, are you sure you're the one? I mean, I've, I've been telling everybody that you were, but this whole like kingdom of justice and righteousness and everyone put in their place and roam out and the Jewish people in and like, that's not quite happening. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm facing the death penalty any moment here. Yeah. He's like, why am I still losing? Like I thought we we're supposed to be getting some wins under our belt here and I'm just rotting yeah. away in this prison. I think John the Baptist in, in his progression from chapter three to 11, like you just mentioned, I think that like perfectly points to the cultural understanding of the time. Cause Jesus isn't doing the things that John's expecting of this yeah. Messiah. He's not winning in terms of how he's looking for it. Yeah, for anybody that's wanting a swift cleansing of the world, they ended up extremely disappointed at this point, right, in the game. And so Jesus, right, he sends people back and he says, hey, tell John, you know, that, you know, the blind can see, right? And those who are born lame, right, are walking and the lepers are cleansed and, you know, the, you know good news is being preached to the oppressed and to the discarded. And so there's these things that are happening that Jesus points to. And I think the disconnect is when you look in, when you, when you look into this scene, you have John and everybody from the, you know, from the religious crowd with this idea of the Messiah who's coming and what he's, you know, what he's coming to do, but they're forgetting a lot of what the prophets had said about the Messiah who was coming. Yeah. And so when Jesus responds to him, he's responding with, uh, I don't know if you fully read guys, what it was that was declared about who I am and why I was coming. And maybe that's why you're having a real hard time right now. And Jesus was clear about that. He even stood up and said that he was coming to do those things, quoting those prophets, right? Like it wasn't even like he took a hard left turn. He did what he said he was going to do. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy how explicit Jesus, Jesus is a number of times. And especially as you see the progression of the, the gospels towards the middle and towards the end, he gets real explicit. And then he'll, you know, like that, that famous passage in Matthew 16, where he goes, hey, you know, I need to go to Jerusalem and die. And Peter's like, no, you're not. You're not going to do that. <laughs> like, That's not going to happen. Right? What are you, crazy? We will yeah, prevent that. Messiahs don't die. They don't lose, right? right? They win. And so there's this idea, just like we have today, that like the negativity of, of losing. We want mm. to, we want to win. Mm -hmm. So talking about this idea of the kingdom or God's power or how God gets done, what he wants to get done, or what is God's agenda in the world? Like, what is his mission? That's literally the title of Reclaim 2. What was the mission of Jesus? We come to find out that it was very, very different, right? His victory um, and his mission was very different than what was thought. Yeah, there's a, you know, one of the, one of the things that I think we often cling to when trying to understand some of the disconnects here, right, and, and wrapping our minds around it, is I think because a lot of us are very accustomed to this idea of right-handed power. That's a phrase that you know Martin Luther made famous long ago when he spoke to to Jesus's mission and our and our disconnect and our our, our inability, I guess, in a sense, to understand it, to grab onto it, to understand the whys behind you know what he's what he's actually laying down his life for. He talked about in terms of this right-handed versus left-handed power. Capon, in one of his books, uh, he does a great job of, of unpacking that, of what Luther was referring to. He says right-handed power um, are these swift, quick acts, right? these swift displays of power. 
in which something that we think should happen is, is made to happen right then, right now, watch this. You know, he went on to say, uh, from, removing, uh, from removing dust with a cloth to removing your enemy with a 45. We love swift acts of power in which we can achieve specific results right now, right, you know, at this very moment, sufficient power, right-handed, etc. And what I love is that Luther says, like, yes, we love that, we get that, um, and that's what we think the Messiah is coming to do, but what we don't understand is that right-handed power is an insufficient use of power, okay, if the relationship is your ultimate goal, okay? If getting the job done is your aim, then right-handed power works. But if obtaining and maintaining a loving relationship is the goal, then right-handed power is the worst thing that you can use. Yeah. I also think, too, that, you know, so people like John the Baptist, they're really wanting this justice and this righteousness. But from their perspective, they're the good guys. Right. We're good. Mm. Right. And here's all these other nations and people and they're godless. Right. And they fail to see the truth about themselves. And that we we don't need, we don't need justice. We're right. You know what I mean? Just like we don't need righteousness. We, we sort of have these things going on, but what we need the Messiah to do is to bring justice to everyone else who's unrighteous. Yeah. So there was something that they needed to discover, which is true about every one of us. Mm -hmm. And that was the big shocker when Jesus shows up, right? Those who were leaders of the religious community who you thought, oh, God's coming to the world. Well, then surely he would cast his lot among them and be buddy-buddy with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he probably would be the chief among those. And we find out that Jesus's harshest words and biggest fights and like, you know, like most amazing zingers and cutting one-liners were reserved for the religious community. Yeah. And sadly, right, we could find ourselves in that camp oh, all day, daily, right? It's the, the issue is everyone else, right? It's not me. The fixing needs to happen for everyone else, not me. But again, I think when you, even when you go back to that, to that illustration of right-handed versus left-handed power, I think God knowing that the relationship is what he came to establish, right? right. That he knows that left-handed power, this is a, even though it's a paradoxical power, and even though it doesn't seem like power at all, but instead it appears like weak, shameful losing, right? Like the dying on a cross, even though it seems that way, this left-handed power is unlike right-handed power in the sense that it's so powerful, evil itself can't undo it. Mm. There is nothing anyone can say or do, nothing. Satan and his army, right? Everyone else included. There is nothing that can be done that can take away the fact that for sinners, while they were sinners, Jesus died. The just for the unjust, right? The righteous for the unrighteous. Man, that's substitution. Yeah. In our place. Yeah, this intervention that really appears as non-intervention. But God knew, right? God knew something about us that we we missed is that we it's not that we needed improvement, right? We didn't need to be fixed. We didn't need a shot in the arm. And he knew something true about everybody is that we needed to be crucified and raised. And so he comes and he dies telling us something very, very true about who we are, that we, that like, we're so broken. We're so 
bad. We're transgressors. We're, we're twisted deeply from the heart at the core of who we are. We don't need improvement. We need resurrection. We need a cross. We need substitution. We need righteousness, his righteousness. Yeah. And it tells us, like you said something, or you said, Russ, it tells us something about the value for, of God is that he valued a relationship with us to not wipe us out, but to win us, to win us back. And so that Luke passage, Luke 19, 10, I think it is, um, Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. Yeah. I mean, Jesus himself says it, right? He tells him, listen, guys, I got to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. It's recorded in Matthew 16. I need to be killed and on the third day be raised. You know, we looked out in Mark 10, right? Jesus himself says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And just so he makes it clear, right? My mission here, he goes on and says this, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So while Jesus plainly told those closest to him that his life would end in Jerusalem, it never really seemed to sink in for them, you know, much less the people that are in and around him. Messiahs don't come and, and die. Well, yeah, I mean, even that's, that's just not in their paradigm, even though the prophets, you know, were speaking, this as Ryan was saying, it's not like he took a left-handed turn in the middle of the, of the journey. He's been saying this, right, since the beginning. You guys remember the road to Emmaus when Jesus shows up on the disciples? Their, their heads are hung and they're bummed, right? And he's like, why are you guys sad? He goes, oh, man, like, are you, not the, are you the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard, doesn't know what happened? <laughs> yeah. the, irony, the irony of that is he was the only person in Jerusalem that knew what happened, right? Um, yep. And they said, well, we thought he was the one. And he wasn't. And the whole basis of that for them, like thinking that he wasn't, was that he lost. You know, I think interesting too, like, yeah, they missed that message, right? But good thing we got it figured out today, you know, like (laughs) good thing we haven't missed that in our local church context or anything like that. That'd be crazy if if all of our religion was just about self-improvement, right? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it would be nuts, man. There's no churches out there doing that, is there? Yeah, I mean, nobody's out there, you know, proclaiming Jesus died so that you could, you know, get it together. And, uh, or Jesus, I mean, nobody's doing that, dude. What blows me away about that is like, you know, we talk about right-handed power and it's easy to see that in, in culture and the world, right? Like nations fighting against each other or, or people that are in, uh, the government, you know, trying to get their way, whichever way that might be. But when the church does that, like, we don't see it that way, but what's happening is the church is just emulating the culture, right? Like we're just mm. taking on the world that we see around us when what Jesus did was come to bring something completely new and good news. Like we didn't need to continue just the way of the culture that it was already going, but to actually have something new that breaks us out of what wasn't working before. Yeah, it's, it's, I agree with you, man, that it's so easy to find yourself on one hand, believing this, you know, what Jesus is saying, and at the same time, like completely losing sight of it, right? To to see it in one moment and then be gone in the next. And what's funny is it's more than just like that moment where you believe in this good news of Jesus and you're driving down the road and you're hanging on to this, you know, reality and then somebody cuts you off and all of a sudden you wave at him with one finger and and then, you know, you kind of laugh at yourself afterwards and you're like, look, there it was, right? one minute I'm living in this just grace of God. And then the next minute, it's like, I don't even believe this. And I react in a way that's right. The opposite. 
But what's funny is when it comes to like the things of the world, the issues that we find ourselves in as individuals or the things that are going on that are even, you know, the bigger things, I guess you could say, it's so easy to not just forget the gospel for just a quick moment, but to even forget it for seasons, Mm. right? To step into this, this belief that, uh, that just better politicians, better programs, Mm -hmm. if we could just get these things in place. That, and that could really help the world straight up and fly right. And don't mishear us, right? Or even mishear me. I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong or that there's not, there's not good that can come from those things. But at the core of what Jesus is declaring is that there is a, there is him, right? The, the righteous giving his life for the unrighteous. And that, that's all of us. Yes. There is him who is just, right? Coming in and taking on a just punishment for all that has been done wrong against us. And also all the wrong that we have done against others. Yeah. And we can either grab onto this reality, this paradoxical left-handed power that evil itself cannot undo, and find that we've been reconciled, all of us, to one another. And we can find some common solidarity in that just as humans. And to begin to walk forward in that, of people who have been right forgiven and then forgive, of people that know that God has justly dealt with things. Or we can ignore that, not just in the moment of hanging your finger out the window, right? But for seasons. Yeah. We don't just forget it for seasons. We also forget it around specific topics, right? There's, there's mm, certain that's like, a great point. issues or topics that, you know, we're grace, grace, grace on everything. But then when this one thing comes up, boy, you know, we got some other things to say. Well, give mm. me an example. What would be a, like a prime example of that? I think... A lot of times, like different situations that people go through, you know, somebody who's had a failed marriage, right? Like we might be speaking grace in a lot of different areas of life, but maybe not to that or to mm. just different family situations or or political agendas or whatever it might be. Like yeah. different people have their different issues, but but it's really easy to forget this message all of a sudden when it comes to some of those hot button topics. So before we get into maybe some of the, the ways that we're, we're seeing that I want to throw a couple of just phrases out to you guys. And I think it would be helpful for those listening in to just unpack some of these. We already brought up the Luther Luther phrase of right-handed versus left-handed power. And then there's a phrase in John 19 that I would love for us to unpack because it's one that we, quote and mention often it is finished let's unpack that real quick that means it's not finished right in the greek i think in the greek it's like there's still much to be done or almost that's uh that could be another translation just the beginning (laughs) just getting not finished yet (laughs) but no these like (laughs) phrases like hashtags from churches we're not finished yet the best is yet to come <laughs> yeah. it's like so, are you talking about like heaven or are you talking about like your next church service i don't know what you're talking about there's <laughs> right? like a new series that's coming out or yeah or are we all like physically right talking with jesus face to face around the throne right now <laughs> the best is yet to come like your band's gonna get better in a few weeks <laughs> No, but I think we laugh at these things, man. We've been there ourselves, and, and I think we even laugh with some of the just sarcastic responses. Just we laugh at ourselves. We're like, yeah, we're laughing at ourselves because 
we're, you know, we're guilty of this, man. We're for sure. It, it's so easy to look at our own lives and the things that we're struggling with out as if they somehow exist outside of the finished work of Jesus. It's so easy to look at somebody else and something that they're going through and think, man, this is it. This is the final moment. It's over. It's done. They've crashed. They've burned, right? God can't do anything with this. Instead of pressing into the reality that no, on the cross, Jesus announced his father's dealings with the sins of this world. All that we've committed, all that have been committed against us have been justly dealt with. And he is now finished with them, right? He has closed the religion shop. You know, as we often say, right. and hung a gone fishing sign right, right. over its door. It's done. The well, world has been made right. We have been brought into perfect reconciliation with our Father and with one another. The only issue we have is we just don't believe this. And don't don't rest in it. And too, I think like us, um, or like um, the people in the narrative when Jesus comes, we're looking for it in the wrong places. So yeah. it might not be, you know, a Messiah on a horse with a sword, but like you mentioned earlier, Russ, it could be somebody with a policy, a program, an app, you know, uh, a cool right. social movement, yeah. which those things are, they're great. They're all good things. Yeah. They're all good things. And we're not knocking that at all. I think when we begin to forget though, right. Yeah. That it is that it is finished, and there's something about the nature of the the this this kingdom that Jesus brings, and it's totally wrapped up and it is finished and already done. Because last time we talked about the idea that all things are already reconciled. Right. And there's this one phrase in Hebrews that talks about the kingdom. It says that it's um, it's unshakable, meaning that in the in the future, what's happening is there's going to be a like a an undoing of the facade of this world, right? The kingdom that we can see with our eyes and the thing that's going to remain is the thing that's always been there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is this reconciled finished work. Right. And it says in Hebrews 12, that the kingdom is something that we're not building or advancing or growing or bringing, but it's something that we're receiving. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's it's funny. It's so easy, you know, to to miss that. It's so easy to miss the kingdom is at hand, right? As we talked about, you know, in our last episode. So turn from this idea as if it's not. Turn from this idea that there's all these things that need to happen for us to live in common solidarity, for us to walk in unity, for us to 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 truly love, for us to forgive, for us to to live as a reconciled people on this side of the veil. There's a number of things that we can do to point, you know what I mean, to this need. But there's one thing that was done that's already made this a reality for us. And I think that's ultimately what we're talking about is that there is a king that is present and there's not a single place you're going to go to, right? In which he's not. And so we begin to learn how to live in light of this. And again, I think we always talk about like, just as the disciples, you know, really failed to grasp this, you know, while they walked with him, it's so easy for us to fail to grasp it as well, looking back to it. But, you know, as Revelation 21 said, all things are, have been made right, right? All things are made new. The question for us, guys, the question for you, our audience, is we rest in this finished work of Jesus and relate this good news to those we love? Or will we present that there's something else that's still needed to change the world? I love that question. I wonder if we can explore that um, just relationally. So I just think about, 
like myself and some of the people in my community, and I think about some of the people that I know chiming into this podcast and our, our, our mission that we have knowing that um, 70% of any given context, and I, we know these numbers fluctuate, but most are uninterested or they're not interested in attending a church service. Right. And so if good news is only preached at nine and 1045, right. At your church location, then most are just not going to hear this, Correct. this good news. And so we're trying to go back into the scriptures and see what was always there for us, that we're God's people sent into the world to carry this good news and all the nooks and crannies and pockets and places and among the people that we rub shoulders with every single day and to place, right, this good news in the hands of everyday people. So imagine your everyday person who's chiming in or listening in rather to this podcast of friendship that they might have that's like two years, two and a half years, three years deep, someone that they're walking with. And they fit that category of disinterested in the church, don't believe. And they're sharing good news. They're looking for opportunities to share their story. There's a big temptation to move away from good news, especially as you start to see, like people start to open up and you start to see into people's lives. There's a real temptation to move away from good news as your message. You might drift into, right? Start, start just being judgmental. Right. Maybe you have a tendency to, to want to fix um, or maybe even, you know, kind of um, start giving them ways that they can start like fixing their lives or, or sanitize these people instead of like disciple them. You guys ever experienced that? Like you start off with good news, but then quickly you move away from it in relationships, especially where there's a lot of familiarity. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I can think of a lot of different times where that has happened and and it, it's different in different contexts, but like I can remember times where, okay, here's the gospel. Um, and next thing you should do after that, right. Is memorize these verses and make sure you're, uh, you know, in this accountability group or, you know, there's just all these other pieces like to add on to it, uh, to make the, the story keep unfolding. And the truth is that, like we said, you know, the story is that it's finished, that it's done, that you don't have to, continue to work to make yourself something better. That's not, that's not what Jesus is about. No, no. And it, and I would agree, man. It, it is easy to forget that Tony. It is easy to move on from it. Um, I think Ryan's correct. It's, it's, but we just naturally move away from something that's finished and think, no, man, we got to do this. And, you know, to get this person from A to B and then they need to do this to get from B to C. And then God's going to move in here and help them get from C to D. And, and if you think about it, like, you can almost find yourself starting to get into a rhythm of teachings and sermon series and you know what I mean? The number of things that you're listening to and passing it on and books activity. and just so much activity to the point where you actually think, you know what I mean? That, that you somehow pulled up some bootstraps and you moved yourself from A to B. And I think what Jesus has invited us into is, is to trust in what's already been finished and learn how to live in that dependence, right? Learn how to live inside of that relationship. So we're naturally going to see God move and, and breathe and have his way right in and through us. And we're going to see things change and shift and amen. But I think the journey before us, man, is one of dependence on him, of learning how to live in something that's already completed on our behalf, not try to figure out how we can complete something as if he failed to do so, whether it's in us or the people that we're ministering to. And I don't know about you, but good news 
it never gets old when I really see it. I know sometimes my dull heart, I, I forget and I have this spiritual amnesia, you know, where I move away from the gospel, but to be reminded of it once again, and to hear this idea that instead of the King coming to this world and being like the Pharisee of all Pharisees, the Sadducee of all Sadducees and the one who did it perfect and saying, now be like this, right? Here's my example. Be like me. And it's such good news to hear that he lost because in losing, he identifies with losers. In dying, he identifies with those who are dead and, and need right. to discover the joy of their death and no. to awaken to the beauty of his finished work the work that he's done, something that's happened outside of us. It's not an improvement piece. It's not something we need to achieve, but something that's been achieved and accomplished on our behalf. And to look outside of ourselves and to grab onto that by faith, grab onto that with just belief and with joy and with awe that nobody in this world, there's not a single person, I don't care what you've done or what you haven't done, right? You have have the, the sins of, things you've done and things where you've completely failed. If we're reading the scriptures, right, which I think we are, every single one of those things has been bested in Christ and they've been dropped down the black hole of his death and swallowed up in the resurrection of the son. And that's why Paul can say in um, what is it? Romans eight. Yep. Or second, no, first Corinthians 15, where, where, is your sting death, right? Like where, where's your great victory? Like sin's done, death is done. It's been bested. Well, and I think what's awesome that we need to remember too, is that, that this is not the message that like your neighbor or your coworker or something is rejecting. Like the, the message of Jesus is radically different from so much of the message that we proclaim in like mm-hmm. modern evangelistic efforts or something that you need to shape up, that you need to stop doing this thing and get better at this thing. Like uh, that's not the message that Jesus proclaims. No, no, you're spot on with that, man. It's, it's just that, right. That radical news of his one way love for us that meets us right where we are. Yeah. That is our reality. That is our joy. That is our peace. Right because he is our life. And I think that's the good news for us. And I think it's the good news for the whole world. And we hope that you have enjoyed this episode. We hope that you have found some good news here about the finished work of Jesus on your behalf and the behalf of those family members that you have that are near and dear to you and the neighbors and the coworkers that you love and long to see awaken to this feast that Jesus set. Know that all is needed has already been completed. So we just want to encourage you and just resting in that and carrying that to those that are in and around you. And until next time, grace and peace to all.